Welcome to the Thunderbed Network. We are a regular podcast who feature a member of the equestrian world and the relationship with the Thunderbed. Thank you for joining us on our debut. And in this episode, we catch up with the established horsewoman, Lizzie Jelfs. We discuss how she got started in racing, her move to media, her love for the Thunderbed and importance of welfare and life after racing. Okay, welcome Lizzie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, yeah, no, it's great to um, to join your podcast and <laughs> it's also really nice to talk to people who I am familiar with as well and who have known me for quite some time. Yeah, super. So we see you every day, what most people would know you as and people tuning in would know you as. You're a presenter for Sky Racing and we actually have the privilege of listening to all your race day assessments from the parade ring. It's such an amazing job. Yeah, it is. It is a an amazing job. It's not something that I ever thought that I would do for a living because I didn't really realise there was a role looking at horses' condition and health on a race day. And I just suppose that it's, it, I feel like it's tailor-made for me with the apprenticeship that I've had going back through the years working for Lindsay Park and before that I had ponies and did pony club and I had a different pony sort of, you know, every <laughs> few weeks um, it would change around and I also uh, worked at a riding school as well. So I've had that really good grounding of being around horses my whole entire life and then coming into racing, being around different horses my entire working career and then therefore going into a media career and it's about horses, not necessarily about betting. It is added on. That's part of what it's all about for me, but it's more about the animal. And yeah, I think I've pretty much had the best apprenticeship going around. (laughs) (laughs) To come here. And and how privileged are we to be able to have you on race day? I think um, you've been very successful um, with your tips and whatnot. But as, as you say... You're here for the horse. You love being a part and, and seeing those horses on race day. And we can really feel that. Um, I think you're a massive asset um, to the racing that way. So let's, let's peel it back a little bit and just give us a little bit of insight. So when did you first sit on a pony? Uh, first sat on a pony. Gosh, I, I don't even actually remember the, the moment I first sat on one. I just feel like I've been riding since I could, you know, talk <laughs> and walk. And I think it was I was around four from my mum's... Uh, description she said we took you to a I think it was a school fate and I rode my grandmother put me on a pony there and I rode a pony there and and just loved it and then nagged and nagged and nagged to have riding <laughs> lessons and then had the riding lessons and uh, I remember my first competition was at a riding school and it was one of those clear round competitions and the lady who was instructing me called Alison I remember her name said to my mum, you know, stop worrying. She's going to be fine. She's, you know, she's pretty gung-ho. She enjoys herself doing it. So off I went into this clear round ring and I thought they were going to, you know, lead me round to go around oh. the jumps. Oh. Yeah. And uh, anyway, she said, she said, oh, take the lead off. Just give it a kick. And it was one of those really good schoolmaster ponies that whizzed around and knew exactly where to go. And I basically just leant forward and just steered in the direction and went, flat out over all these um, uh, show jumps and had the time of my life. And from then on, it was just, I want a pony, please. I'll do anything. I'll work. I'll do a paper round. I'll do anything to have one. And, and I nagged them until eventually um, I got one. You got that at home. And so did you keep the ponies at home? No, no, no. So we lived in Oxford and we, not too far away was a place called Port Meadow, which is quite a famous meadow in, in Oxford. It, it links up Wolvercote uh, to the city and it's, it's huge. I wouldn't know how many acres it is, but it's, there's a, the river runs through it and it's a big meadow and they have horses roaming there freely 
along the meadow and there's also some stables along there and eventually once I got my pony I uh, started having him on the meadow so it's it's not a ideal scenario when you've got a pony that's on acres and acres of land and you've got to trek all the way to the top of the meadow to go and get your horse back in through mud thistle you know heat but I I never worried about it it was just such a you know, wonderful childhood. And I used to cycle my bike before school, after school, and look after them. And the rule was, because my parents were both working full time, the rule was, if you want a pony, you've got to do everything with it. And I did everything. And I loved it. And I used to, I even remember back then, I was thinking about this when I was coming on to this podcast. I remember back then, I used to go into the stables, and I'd look at him when I bought him and I used to think, oh, he's looking a bit fat, you know, I probably need to give him a bit more work or, you know, because I had a competition coming yeah. out. So all these scenarios when I'm, I, I've obviously like loved looking at horses and assessing them all the time. Or yeah. I'd always look at legs and, you know, their confirmation and he was a new forest and he had the most perfect confirmation. So he, um, Scooby do was my, my little pony. And yeah, I just, I, I honestly had the best upbringing looking after hands-on I used to even pay for the feed as well that was oh, I used to do a bit so. of a bit of a uh, uh, work for my mum and the money would I'd do that and I'd you know hand over some money for the feed <laughs> because it taught me that I wanted to have horses it taught me that I loved them and it taught me that you know they're not cheap and you don't, can't just have them willy-nilly so yeah I've been installed some some good uh you know some some really good um lessons about yeah. having horses and respecting them and wanting them and I think that's probably carried on much, to, much to my detriment <laughs> but what, what a great sort of upbringing because you know not that we don't always know but horses they teach us so many life lessons and I think that would have been such an amazing introduction for you and, and being such a young age I think um, as much as it may have cost a shiny penny was probably very worth it from your parents point of view yeah I, absolutely I mean I, I think that it was wonderful for them to give me a gift of, of loving something yeah I think for children nowadays if you can find something that you really love and you're passionate about whether that be you know horses or you know it might be art or it might be you know dancing or it could be anything but if or sport if you find that passion I think that's something that you hold on to for the rest of your life. And that's obviously what's happened with me with horses. Amazing. So at some point along the way, we, we've, we've had little Scooby-Doo's. And at some point along the way, we've sort of... We've still got Scooby-Doo as well. You've still got... Still, oh, my mum still has it. him, yes. Oh, <laughs> all that assessment kept him going for yeah. so long. <laughs> still got him. He still lives at home and um, he still causes, you know, lots of... Uh, ruckuses at home he often escapes when there's not enough grass in the paddock because we live he now lives at home with my my mom and dad and live on um, some acreage and he uh, often escapes and I get phone calls from my parents saying that bloody pony of yours Um, so what age would he be now oh he's got to be his late 30s oh my goodness and he's just got it he's black and he's just got a little bit of gray he has aged so well and are you still paying for him no (laughs) I probably should be now (laughs) oh what no that that's amazing. It's a true, um, that, that's, you know, for him to be going so long, he must have had yeah. such an amazing life. Yeah, that's, he, that's he keeps, a, I think he's like a, a reminder to my parents that they've got another child still. <laughs> <laughs> I lovely. So you've, you've gone from him and did you go through, could you, did you continuously go through ponies? Um, yes. And did you sort of, did you, what sort of, how did that transpire before you going into thoroughbreds? Well, I did, I went into a pony club. I was with South Oxford. Oxfordshire Hunt Central and I went through them for about 
think I was with them about five or six years. And I basically went through from, you know, a young girl through to a teenager up until I was meant to go on to horses. And I did tetrathlons, pentathlons. Um, I did cross country, show jumping. I did, I, I did everything pretty much. But mainly I did a lot of uh, triathlons and tetrathlons, okay. which was really good Amazing. fun. Amazing. Because I'm really, I was very sporty at school. So I loved like running and swimming. So yeah, so what did they entail just for our listeners that aren't aware? So they, um, you shoot with a 177, which yep. is a sort of like a small handgun. Yep. And it's about 10 meters you shoot to. And there's a, there's round, they're round targets. And they are, you have, I think from memory you have about, five goes at a time and you've got to get up to like a thousand's the top yep okay. you've got to get up to and yeah I had to that was my my um my first time shooting so I had to my dad's a keen shooter but not 177s he was more of um he, he used to shoot clays and yep. so I had to learn to shoot a 177 which actually believe it or not I was actually not too bad at so and that's a really good way in in triathlons and tetrathlons and pentathlons to get ahead because it's almost like if you can master that area okay. and have a good shoot you can, you know, you, you can get maybe not a clear round or you can swim not too bad. You know, you, you yeah. don't have to put too much pressure on yourself and you don't have to run, um, you know, too hard. The next discipline is running. You do a 1500 meter run. And then the third one is you swim as long as you can. I think it's for about three minutes, uh, which, which is, yeah, it's pretty hard. <laughs> and, then you, and then you do a, a cross country round. Yep. with your pony yep. and you, the pentathlons you do a show jumping round which is a drawn horse how amazing yeah it was so so much fun we used to go all around the country doing that and that was uh that was really good it's because not only are you training your ponies but you're also training yourself yeah that's a big go because you sort of because we, we when we're training horses we sort of we, we plan out what we've got to do with them but you're actually really feeling the effects as yeah well. <laughs> yeah well you shoot on uh you shoot run and swim on the one day and then the next day they used to be two days the next day you would ride yeah and i always i mean i always looked forward to the riding the most yeah but i loved the the competitive edge of the shooting and 100%. the swimming and the running. My, my weakest discipline used to be the running. Okay. Um, so I used to really like pump myself up to try and, you know, get that one in. <laughs> I used to try and shoot well and then swim really well. And then I, I didn't have to kill myself <laughs> in the running. But it was, it was good fun. And it, it's actually, I lo- when I go to the uh, watch my daughter play sport now, I see how much... I know what she's going through because I've, I've, I've been it. there and yeah. she's the same as me. She's got that sort of like really competitive Edge. nature and wants to, you know, <laughs> just, you just want to do well. It's not, yeah. you don't beat yourself up if you don't, but you, you give your, your all your and own. try and, uh, try and um, you know, do the best job you can do. And the other wonderful thing about tries and, and tetrathlons is that you work on a team as well. So it's a team of four and you're, you have to be the three three top scorers go towards your points. So it's the three of you. So you've always got someone to, you can, you might have someone who they've had a bad round, right. then you can carry them with the rest of the team. So it's also a good team That's effort. Fantastic, isn't it? And then you get the individuals. How amazing. Yeah. How amazing. What a great sort of sporting sort of background you've got there that is really, um, 
I think that would have been so amazing for your education and, and especially being with your ponies. But having well, a I don't know if it was good for my education because I used to focus more on that than I did on my education. <laughs> well, your education. It so much. We'll save the education for the parade ring yeah. on race day. It's yeah, really helpy because it. you can run here and you can run out to the front. Yeah, no, it's, it, it definitely, uh, my focus probably was probably too much on that when I was at school. But it, look, it, you know, I, I as, as I always say to myself, Everything happens for a reason and with the with the horses and sort of having a career in horses, it's because I love the animal and it was probably the only thing I would ever do. So from the pony club days, I wanted to, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to go to uni or I had no idea. I just, all I knew is that I loved horses and, but I didn't think there was anything for me, a career. I didn't think okay. you could have a career. I didn't want to work in, in a stables. That was as a as a groom at um, you know riding school. That was yep. not what I wanted to do. I had no idea that really racing existed apart from watching the Grand National and yep. Cheltenham. I used to enjoy watching those big features. And I was always would turn on for Royal Ascot and I'd I'd love the looking at the horses you know crossing the line and looking at them walking around the parade ring I'd love all of that but I never really thought of it as being a career I thought it was just sort of another world that you know it was very hard to get involved in and probably not you know not for me either considering I'm not from a racing family yeah. at all and no one really watched much racing we used to watch the horses but yep. we wouldn't watch any racing, racing per se and then one day I thought to myself maybe I should just try and find a trainer and, and see if I can go and have a look to see what it's about. And I remember faxing or calling, sorry, the BHA, and then they sent me a list through of trainers. That's so good. Yeah, which was really good. So they sent me a list through of trainers in Lambourne and asked me to have, said, have a look through those and try and pick a trainer out. And I, the first person I think I called was... The Pitmans. Okay. Because I've heard of them. They yep. were, you know, really sort of famous back then with um, plenty of horses that were, were jumping at the time. She, she, they were training out of, um, yeah. She was training out of Weathercock House at, it, up at yeah. the end of Lambourne, yeah. And I thought to myself, well, they're really famous, so they surely go to the best people. And yep. Anyway, I, they, didn't, they couldn't take me on and they couldn't give me an answer there and then. And okay. so they said... They're actually quite rude. But anyway, <laughs> we'll move on from that. <laughs> I just thought, you know what, I'll go and I'll keep going. And I remember looking down the list and I, I came up, I saw Lord Huntingdon and I recognised his name. So I gave him a call and he was actually retiring that year. Okay. And he said, who else is on the list? Who's below me? And I said, or above, Charlie Edgerton. I said, he, he said, give him a call. He's a great guy. So I faxed off and he called me. And I was like, wow, this is pretty this good. Is he said, when do you want to come? I said, oh, well, you know, my work experience is in a you know, few months' time. He said, how about you come before and see what you think, and then you can link up and maybe do the work experience. So I went before, and the rest is pretty much history. I sat my bum on my first racehorse and said, this is me. I don't want to do anything else but do this. That's, so, you, so you walked in the first day. And was this a st so? What was his stables like? How many did he have in training at the time? He had about forty in training, very much a boutique stable. Yeah. Majority jumpers, maybe about four or five flat horses. They were all immaculately looked after. Oh. Think of a stable where they 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 did above everything was above and beyond for the horse. Yeah. They used to have duvets on. 
oh. in the winter. So they'd have the rug. They'd, you have four or five rugs on during yeah. an English winter. But I remember, you know, your first day you're putting a sheet on. Then you're putting a, what are the striped rugs called again? Like the, the, the old um, wicker, wicker sheets, yeah. Yeah, you'd put them on. And then you'd put a duvet on. And then you put a weather beater on. And then you put another <laughs> rug on top of it. And I was about 47 kilos. And I'm trying to throw <laughs> these rugs on these 17 hand jumpers. And I mean, for me, that was the hardest yeah. part. So yeah, it was, look, the stables were gorgeous. He is a, he was an incredible trainer. He doesn't train anymore, but incredible trainer. He left no stone unturned. He used to train quite a bit off of uh, bloods as well. So if their bloods weren't right, he, he wouldn't uh, run them, which back then was not necessarily... He was sort of at the forefront, the forefront of, of, that, yeah. of new um, education around veterinary and horses. And, and definitely he was one of those people who who would only run his horses if they were 100% and his strike weight meant an awful lot to him. So he was a very good trainer. He's had some great horses, My Silve, Decoupage, Melly Moss. He ran second in the Grand National. And he has always been someone who I, a very eccentric man, but I admire him immensely because he is not someone who worries about what people think of him. He just, you know, focuses on what he enjoys doing and, and training racehorses at the time was what he loved doing. And I can't thank him enough for the opportunities that he has given me over, well, when I first started, he was the first one to give me a go. And, and he was actually the reason why I ended up coming out to Australia because he knows the hazes and okay, set so, me up with them. So you worked, you worked um, at, w- at what point did you decide, I, I want to go to Australia? Probably when I was getting a little bit of pressure about what are you going to do? (laughs) Are you going to, you know, go to university and study equine science? Are you, what are you, what's, what are you doing, Elizabeth? And it was getting to the point where I was thinking, I don't really know. I still don't know what I want to do. I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to be, I didn't really want to tell everyone what I wanted to do because I didn't, I just still had this stigma, not from a racing family, that I didn't think racing was a career for a young woman. I mean, I was only 18, 19 at the time. So I felt like it was something that, you know, maybe this is an in-between job, which I, which is what I, I talk about it later, but it's something that I really want to take the stigma away from racing. Yeah. I don't want racing people to come into racing and say, this is a job okay for now. Like I want something better in time, like because this industry has got so much to offer and we just are really bad at telling people <laughs> what there is out there and, and how wonderful this industry is because we need good people. We need people who want to make a career of racing. So I was in between, didn't really know, thought it wasn't the right thing to do. And I said, maybe I'll travel for a year. And he said to me, well, why don't you go and travel and ride horses? He said, you, you know, you can ride anything, so go go travel. And he said it will make you a better rider as well because it's a lot different out in Australia. So off I went, packed my bags, <laughs> going to Lindsay Park, and I had no idea what I was getting myself in for. <laughs> I thought of Australia. I didn't really do much research. I'm not that sort of person. I was thinking more, you know, I was going to Adelaide. I was thinking more like Bondi Beach that I was going to. I was thinking more sunshine, uh, more sort of, you know, uh, very, you know, the very stereotypical Australian uh, stuff I had in my mind. And when I got here, I arrived into Adelaide at that time. I think Adelaide didn't have a proper airport. It was just a bit bit of a tin shed. 
I arrived, I got picked up by Tom Dabernick. We went to the races, I think, because it was a Saturday morning I arrived. Oh, oh well. Wow. <laughs> so I went to, uh, must have been more football races or Murray Bridge, one of the uh, one of those two. And then drove me back to the Barossa and I settled me in there. And I just remember ringing my mum saying, I just want to come back. I do not want to be here. This is not what I thought it would be. I don't know why I did this. You know, I'm, I just felt so overwhelmed yeah. and I was so young and I'd never really... Well, I had never left my family, so yeah, it was a it was a, a bit of a learning curve. I think I fell off my first morning, maybe three times. Oh goodness! Yeah, they were they're very different. I mean, you would have found the yeah. same when yeah, you came 100%. here. Yeah, the horses are a lot more switched on. They're a lot stronger. Uh, they everything is done to time, so you're sort of panicking about you know getting your times right. And in the end, I think they called me autumn leaves for the first you know few weeks <laughs> that I was there. But they never they never faltered. They just threw me back on and and off I went again. And and uh, yeah, learned so much. And I continued to learn and and grow all the way through my time with them. So how did you? So you've obviously arrived fresh faced, and and you're sort of basically coming to learn and to ride. How did your role evolve there at Lindsay Park? I, I guess I was tra- I was sort of one of those in between people. So I was, I, I could be, you know, sort of switched around in many different ways. And by after about a month, I could pretty much ride most the the horses that they had yep. there. Uh, you know, within reason. There was a few that you know were hard work, but I could pretty I adapted pretty quickly, and my strength built up quickly as well. So they had horses going to Melbourne and they offered if I would like to go to Melbourne and, and off I went. I went to Melbourne for a, for a bit and while I was in Melbourne, there was another travelling foreman at the time, Lisa, and she ended up going to Queensland. It was around the Queensland Carnival and they said, another, we need another rider, would you like to go? I said, absolutely, I'd love to go. And it basically started from there. I started travelling with a, another lady who was, who was a, the foreman and I just was learning from her what was you know what we had to do while we were away and and I I remember going away and thinking this is the best job in the world (laughs) I could that that moment I was like I could do this forever this is brilliant and we got to the end of our trip up there in Queensland and she said to me I'm actually planning on on having a baby and I said oh really okay why (laughs) you've got a great job why would you do that and she said well you know, she explained, and I understand now, but I mean, back then I was like, gosh, she's absolutely bonkers, why would you do that? (laughs) So um, we went, we ended up going back, and I just thought, oh, I'll I'll hang around and see what happens, you know, is there a chance maybe that I might get this job? And I got it, so I just, I don't think there was anyone around at the time to take it, but I ended up getting it, so (laughs) I got the job for travelling, and then I, the rest is history, I've been everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> did you did you then phone mum back and say I've changed my mind? I just said, yeah, look, I've got this job. I'm, I'm I I always went back home. I made okay. sure I always went. So this was probably about, I think I was about eight months into it, and I I went back home, and then I went back to Australia and started doing uh, the job, traveling, traveling around, and I just had the most wonderful time. I've I've been everywhere, apart from Darwin. It's my only one. Ah. Oh. I just dropped. Yeah, <laughs> I know that was one that I, I, would, I would have loved to have gone to, but it was usually a time when I went home. So, but I've been to all the carnival, all the major carnivals, and experienced. So, and, and we're talking globally, aren't we? We're saying, yeah, so, globally as well. Yeah, um, I've been so lucky. And so your job was basically, you, 
you'd have, you'd have your horse or a couple of horses, and you were you were the main man there. You, you sort of yeah. rode him, you looked after him. You, I mean, would the boss send the work through, or would you? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So I, I was just basically an extension of whoever. So Tony was training at the time when I first started travelling with horses, and then David came back from Hong Kong, and I worked for David. So I was just an extension of what they wanted me to do. I would never. You know, I, w- I would just report back to them. You, sometimes they don't eat, as you know, when yep. they when they travel, or, or maybe their work feels a bit flat. Or I would just report back, and it would be their decision what we would do going forward, the next step. But but when you're learning those scenarios, you're also learning off of the best yeah. because you're learning what they would they would do in those situations, and so you start to adapt to. I mean, I feel like I, if I trained now, I would train like the Hazers train because. Yep. That's pretty much all I know. That was your schooling. And that was my schooling. <laughs> I also worked with a really fantastic guy who's, he's actually someone who I hold very close to my heart called Gary Fennessy. And he is an incredible, he's the best horseman I know. And there's a lot of good horsemen out there, but I can, I can guarantee you there's not many that are better than him. And he has taught me from the moment, you know, he's given me a few rouse ups, <laughs> believe me. But he's taught me pretty much everything I know about horses. And I can, I could ring him and, and say to him, you know, there's, there's a certain situation happening and he give me a few different scenarios that, that something might, what might be wrong. Yep. And we narrow it down to that. And he doesn't even have to be there. Yeah. So he's just an incredible horseman. So I've learned from the best. I've learned training. You know, I've seen David operate with own, owners as long, along with Tony McAvoy. They're incredible, you know, networkers and talkers and, you know, great judges of yearlings. And then I've also got the, the benefit of having someone like Gary Fennessy who was around. He was there with CS yep. at the very start of Lindsay Park. And he's been there um, all the way through since he was 16 and I, he's a little bit older now <laughs> but he's been there from that time and I've had the experience of working hands-on with him I've gone overseas with him as well he took uh, better loosen up to Japan okay. when he won the Japan Cup and I went for my first ever trip overseas okay. which happened to be Japan <laughs> I went uh, with Fields of AMR and we went together so oh, yeah learned so amazing. much that would have been amazing so Lizzie what would be your favorite international trip um uh, hard difficult question but very good question as well because there's so many elements of all the trips that I've really loved and the ones that I've loved are the ones where I've been able to really, uh, you know, enjoy the area as well. So it's not just about the horses. I've been able to sort of soak up all the culture and, you know, the surroundings and really feel like I've lived in those places. And I went to Dubai one year. This is probably my favorite international trip because of a couple of different reasons. I went to Dubai with a horse called Nick Nero. He won the Australian Cup and... At the time, I had a horse called Nakoni, his half-brother, here. And I was devastated when they rang me and said, look, you know, we we want you to go to Dubai. And I thought, oh, but I want to stay here because I've got horses running in a golden slipper. I've got, you know, a really good three-year-old sprinter in um, uh, Nakoni running in the Galaxy. And I thought he could win it. And I was sort of really torn between these two horses that I loved. But um, anyway, I was... I was an international foreman, so I had to go overseas. So I went with Nick Nero, who is, let's put it this way, he's a pretty difficult horse to deal with. He was a bit of an ugly duckling, <laughs> but he could gallop, and he was a horse that 
I had numerous arguments with and probably had a little bit of a personality clash half the time. But once we got going overseas, I fell in love with him and we were, you know, best friends. So we were up in a race uh, over, it was the last running of uh, Nadal Sheba before they changed over to Maidan. And he uh, was running in a really hot race. There was a horse called Gladiatorius. Uh, Presvus, who uh, was Luca Kamani's horse, Ryan Moore used to partner with him, and he actually went on and won uh, the Singapore Cup, and he also, I think, he won the Hong Kong Cup after that in that same year. Um, but we were in the duty free and Dubai duty free, and he, I, I just kept going through the form of the race, which I sort of had only just started getting into, and I saw, you know, every, all these horses were last start Group One winners, last start Group One winners, and I'm thinking, about, I'm bringing this Aussie who. <laughs> Looks totally out of place against all these, you know, amazing American-looking horses that, you know, they're big, beautiful, you know, you know, strong individuals. And I've got this sort of really wiry street fighter <laughs> on my hands. And I just, I thought, I just don't run last. That's all I, all I was hoping. <laughs> don't run last. Anyway, he put up the most incredible performance and ran fourth, which doesn't sound, you know, very good. But it was fit for a horse to be running over, you know, eighteen hundred meters. Um, and to run fourth internationally was a really, really good effort. So that was probably my favorite trip just because he completely outperformed what I expected him to and what everyone expected him to do. So he's um, probably because of him. He's a real Lindsay Park horse. He's a Lindsay <laughs> Park bred horse. He's owned by uh, David and Gordon, which are longtime owners of uh, Lindsay Park. And he's just one of those products of Lindsay Park that is pure bone and muscle. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's so. Like so far in your career, you've you've gone from walking into a stable, being a stable last where you've ridden and looked after them, and now you're on the other side of the world, traveling <laughs> horses internationally, and yeah. to be able to be a part of that, um, it's amazing what racing is. What, what racing's actually given you, because it, there's not many other industries that you can do that, is there? No, not at all. And I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be able to come back. I'd be able to travel to Australia and then eventually I would be able to bring a horse back and run at Royal Ascot. So that was Nakoni who I took back to the UK to run at Royal Ascot. And I just thought how I I really, I really felt like I'd sort of made it then. I thought, you know what, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually made it. I'm going back with a horse um, that is an Australian you know, bred horse. It is, and it's flying the flag for Australia. But I'm English, and <laughs> I'm running at our, our biggest international meeting, Royal Ascot. So, yeah. Look, I I think that I have been very lucky, very fortunate. I've worked very hard, like a lot of people do, and I've been dedicated to racing from the pretty much the moment I got involved in it. And I knew that that was what you needed to do to be successful. And I'm, I'm one of those, I've been behind the scenes. I've never been a person while I was doing that job to push myself to the front. It was always, David is my boss and he is, you know, the, the front and center. He's the person who trains the horses. I'm just the support crew. I'm more than happy to be there. To be there. Amazing. So what, so you've sort of worked at Lindsay Park and then where was that transition where you, where you actually left that role? Well, I was up here. We were, had horses up here. And at the time, David was going through the transition of having Euroa open. So he was moving Lindsay Park from South Australia to Victoria. And I guess we lost a lot of our 
you know, big time horses. A lot of them had retired and moved on. And we were probably at a bit of a lull at that point in time. And and David just basically said, look, I'm, I'm going to have to close the Sydney stable. I don't have enough horses to keep it all going. And what I really want to do is focus on getting Yoroa up and going. But also I want Flemington to keep going as well. And he just said to me, would you be interested in coming back and starting at Yoroa and then also going to Flemington to run the Flemington stables and swapping Gary Fennessy from uh, Flemington to Yoroa. So we did a bit of a switch around and, and we, it was all hands on deck to really rebuild and get Lindsay Park back up to where it is again today. today. So I, I just felt like it was unfinished business. He, he offered, he said to me, you know, you don't have to come back. We understand you've got a family in Sydney, but do you, we, we want you to come back. There's a job there for you. And I just felt at that point in time that it was unfinished business and that I really needed to repay the opportunities that David had given to me. I really wanted to help him be there and, and help him rebuild and, and be part of the team because it's a, it is a wonderful team to be part of. I, I'm, I, I suppose I never really not be part of it. I always feel like I still am, but yeah. that was a great experience. I was in Melbourne for about two and a half years and enjoyed you know, being part of a, a rebuilding process that ended up being very successful. It's still successful today. It's one of yeah. the biggest. So. And they're going through another transition, aren't they, with the fact that David is going to Hong Kong. Yeah. Oh, you've got Ben involved now, Hayes, who's, um, he started at a, at a young age and he often says to me, Lizzie gives the best sprays. And I'm like, did I? I can't remember doing that. Oh, gosh. So, um, yeah. And then there's the twins as well. They're coming up through the ranks. So look out for them. And they are great kids. And Well, they're not kids. They're great young men. And I can't wait to see what their future has in store for them. And it's, it's so good because Sydney, you've sort of been there from the early days. You've really you've seen yeah. that, sort of those sort of generations come up. And um, it must mean so much to you just to, to see them sort of coming through there. Um, and so then we, um, the Lindsay Park scene sort of almost lost you to, um, to the media scene. Well, it, again, David was instrumental in me transitioning over to the media. Yeah. I'd come up to Sydney and said, I'd, I, I was, I think I'd, I just had Zara. So Zara's my second daughter. And I said, I remember we were going to the trials. We were doing some work for David. Mm. We had some horses up here for him. And he said to me, oh, I've got this job for you. And I thought, oh, gosh, what is it now? You don't want me to move again. <laughs> He's like, it's in Melbourne. I said, oh, no, not again. I'm not moving again. And he said, no, no, this is, this is really exciting, Liz. Hear me out. And I was like, okay. And he said, racing.com are looking for a paddock analyst like Jenny Chapman in Hong Kong. And I think you'd be perfect for it. I said, oh, yeah. And my husband, Ryan, was sort of you know he was he's been instrumental in giving me the confidence to go and do these things because I did have confidence in my ability but I'm also quite a modest person who doesn't think who I never thought that I'd be you know any good at that type of role so he um pushed me along and I agreed to go down and meet with a guy called Todd Gooch who is now still at racing.com and when I went down and met him and then we we went off to the races and he was at Geelong races, I think it was, and he was telling me, you know, this is what we want you to do and this is what, what we're, how we see the role and it wasn't a, a great deal of training. It was just sort of like that's how you hold a, 
hold, hold a microphone. That's how you look at a camera and then you wait until we tell you you're clear <laughs> before you go. So I was like, oh, okay, well. Then we were looking around the yard and I remember him asking me, what, is, tell, me tell me what you like in this yard. I remember saying, oh, I like that one, you know, and I can't even think of the horse's name. Um, and he said to me, oh, yeah. That, uh, yeah, what about the favourite? Yeah, I said, oh, it looks all right, but I just, that one looks, you know, whatever its name was, looks really good. Anyway, it went and actually won. <laughs> and I thought to myself, God, how lucky am I that that happened? Like, <laughs> literally the best job interview ever. And uh, anyway, we went back and he said to me, I think he rang me a few days later and he said, we, we're going to put you on air. And it was about a week later. And I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? Like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I... I, I think I, I got on and, and started watching uh, Hong Kong and just listening to what Jenny, how she spoke about them. I thought, like, oh, okay, well, I can see how she speaks about them. She's just basically talking about what they look like in the yard. So I just gung-ho. I think it was a Wednesday meeting at Sandown and off I went. And I had oh, some great support people at racing.com. Jason Richardson was amazing. He, he always uh, held my hand through it all. And Todd Gooch as well. He was also a wonderful you know, mentor at the time. There was a couple of producers there as well. Um, at the time, Nick Lovett, he was one of them as well. So I had some great uh, people around me at that time to help me with my media skills, which I had none. Yeah. Believe me, I had none. And I was absolutely petrified about going on camera, but I just had this unbelievable poker face that <laughs> looked like I was having the best time and I was all fine. Uh, so I think that I think that it all went well and I've had, I, I, I kept thinking to myself, I, I did put in the work. I mean, I, I knew the patterns of Victoria and racing. I knew what sort of, you know, I knew what horses looked like and I, I feel like I had a good apprenticeship because I'd been around yeah. Victorian racing for a long time. But I guess what the, the part I didn't understand was that I was, I was tipping to people. I would, I needed to find winners and it was not something that I focused on. So that's why I don't think I put too much pressure on myself to do, to do it. It just naturally organically happened. Uh, one day at Sandown, I tipped five winners in a row and I literally had people high-fiving me and like asking, you know, like I, I'd never had so much attention <laughs> in my whole life, not even on my <laughs> wedding day. I was like, well, this is like a lot of people want me to find winners. And, and from then on, I realized that that predominantly was what the job was about. And I try, I, you know, I try very hard to find winners and value. But what my core values are is giving an opinion about what a horse looks like on race day and leaving that for someone to make a decision. Yep. So not necessarily I'm telling you that this is, you know, you should have a bet on this. I want to make sure that I'm telling you what I'm seeing because yep. you're probably watching it on TV so you don't really get a good picture of what they look like and you can then therefore make a decision about what you want to do with your hard-earned cash. <laughs> that, um, what an amazing job. It what is. What an amazing job, <laughs> especially being down there. I know you'd have probably felt the pressures a little bit being fresh up, but how amazing to be down there yeah. and being amongst these athletes and being able to give us that. Yeah. And obviously the public were on your side from the get-go. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, the public maybe. I mean, people who like looking at horses probably, but maybe not the punters. And I think I'm slowly winning them over. <laughs> slowly. But I mean, there's still people, you know, you're either going to like me or you're not. And yep. I can't please everyone. I can, I'm, I'm a very authentic person. I'm very much someone who wears my heart on my sleeve yeah. and 
I'm happy if you don't like me to come and have a chat with me. Like I'm happy to, you know, hash it out if you've got yeah. a problem with what I'm saying. But what I what I want to do is is make sure that racing is more than just we're betting on something. Yep. These are animals, these are athletes, these are our core center of what we do. And I just want people you know, who, who to, to love them like I do. So when I talk about them, I mean, there's some horses that I just want to go up and give a hug to and I just absolutely <laughs> love, but I'm talking, I'm talking from a place that's pure passion. I just love talking about what they look like and I just could look at horses all day. And I know there's millions of people in this world who would feel the same. And that's what I just want to generate is that sort of, you know, passion of, of what I'm looking at. We're here for the athlete. So... We, you did your transition from Melbourne to Sydney? I did, yes. When My family that? were in Sydney and we have, you know, we have, our life is up here and we love it. We really love Sydney. And uh, unfortunately, I um, had to move on from racing.com but couldn't speak highly enough of racing.com. They were wonderful to give me an opportunity and I will be forever grateful for the opportunities that I got from Scott Perrin uh, on, the, on that uh, particular time. So, very, very grateful for my time at racing.com. And now I'm with Sky. I enjoy the role at Sky. I'm very happy there that um, I get to do this job. I'm very fortunate. I feel very lucky that I'm able to do this job. And they have also, you know, uh, sort of given me free reign to make the pick of the, the uh, pick of the yard or the paddock analysis, I more like to call it, my own. And I feel like that's something that I've done. Out of, um, since you've came to Sydney and since you've been in the parade ring in Sydney, What's your most favourite horse? Oh, I really, oh, I can't. I just, I don't know. I can't pick one out. There's a few. What about Winx? Yeah, she's, (laughs) look, she's incredible to give feedback on. But there's so many horses with quirky personalities that I love. There's, um, there's so many, so many unique characters out there. Winx is amazing. Uh, I love the two-year-olds, I must admit. And I also love it when it's a wet track because I love seeing the ones the real athletes the fit horses they're the ones that um that always sort of come to the forefront but I like finding horses that are emerging talents I like to you know I, I actually remember the early days of Colding and he had just the swagger right from the start <laughs> and I kept saying to the boys because he he'd a couple of times been short price favorites I kept saying to the boys on midweek meeting I said this horse is he he cannot be anything but a star and they kept saying to me yeah he was disappointing you know it was a two dollar favorite and he's got beaten or he's done this or he's done that and I I kept thinking to myself you can't look that good and walk that well and have the you know this all the you know the great beautiful rounded hind quarter root he's got this amazing deep shoulder and lovely from his top of his girth um, to his wither he's just so deep as well so he must have a great lung capacity. and heart capacity and when he got gelded that was it he just started hitting his straps and I kept I kept saying to them I told you he'd be good I told you so I love finding horses like that Celsa Beale's a real favorite at the moment uh, due to finding her first up um, in the golden gift yeah. a couple of other yard judges who who come to a race day also found her as well. So she's a really good looking type. Yeah. And 
she's exciting. So I think the two-year-olds are something that I love looking at, but I couldn't give you one that I absolutely love. I mean, White Moss is probably my favourite, yeah, isn't she? Go. There you go. <laughs> I'd have to say. Feel yeah, I'd have to say. And she always will be. <laughs> if, you, um, if you could talk to young Lizzie now, walking into um, the Edgerton Yard for the very first time, what would you say to her? I would say think about this as a career and stop thinking it's an in-between job because be aware that there's an amazing amount of opportunities in racing. I'd say that to any young person. I wouldn't change anything because I feel like I've had a, I've had a really good apprenticeship with what I've done and it's suited me. I've done things a lot slower. I mean, I've been in racing 20 years now, so I've done things a lot slowly a lot more slowly probably than most people would probably a lot of people are more ambitious they want to get to that point a before you know they want to get there quicker than I have but for me I have done it my way and I wouldn't change anything that I've done I've had a the the best time doing it it's been some tough days as well you know like everyone has but I can honestly say the majority of the time I've been in racing I've had a, a wonderful career very happy, very fortunate. It's, I can't even really call it a job. I'd probably do it for free. That's how much I love it. And we sort of really want to see some young people coming through and, and yeah. being more aware of our industry, don't we? Absolutely. My, my biggest sort of worry for racing going forward is welfare is a huge issue going forward, but also the education of people going into this industry. And... I think a lot of it's got a a very vast role in employment racing because it can sometimes give people who are not necessarily a nine to five person a role, a job and a life. And there's a lot of people who I know who wouldn't necessarily have jobs that work in racing and that have worked in racing and been able to get up and do the shifts and the hours, which is a bit unorthodox at times, but have enjoyed it because of the animal. So it's got that element. But it also needs to have the element of having people that are that that are well-educated, that are, do want to change the perception of racing. And I think that there's, you know, the Dali Fly and Start course is excellent, but it's a very limited course and it's yeah. worldwide. So it's a course that takes not a lot of applicants. It's a highly sought-after course and it's a wonderful course to get on, but that it's not for everyone. What Lindy uh, Morris has set up, the thoroughbred industries career I'm heavily supporting. I think that that's a wonderful um, element to getting involved in racing. But I still feel that there's there's room for more. There's room for a bigger a bigger um, conglomerate, which could be thoroughbred industries career. But there's got to be some way that we can get involved in racing that Lindy has thought of, that we can get involved, that we can go there and we can have a... a um, sort of a, a vast idea of what, you know, different ideas. We can go to a stud, we can go to a stables, we can go in and work in, uh, you know, admin or something or for a race course that we know that there's so many different roles out there. And Lindy is doing that, but that's what I, I think is something that we really have to focus on as far as racing is concerned. And you know how I feel about welfare. It's the single most important thing we have to solve in racing and we need to work as in my opinion as a national body we need to work with every single state and we need to be united and this is a cause that we have to we have to all work towards because otherwise 
we're not going to have any racing. And there's no, going to be no racing for my children and their children. And it, that's really sad. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think what we, what a lot of people also don't realise is we have, we have a sport which is involved in gambling, but pretty much everyone that's ever been near them, anyone that's ever been in the presence of a racehorse just knows how special they are. Yeah, I think we need to celebrate that a bit more as well. Yeah. We're getting better at it because... You know, there's things like this or a podcast that yeah. talks about people. I mean, a lot of people might just see me flash up on TV and not realize how obsessed with horses I am. <laughs> Maybe not, but I mean, a lot of people might not, so you don't know. But I think the the key is to get the message out there and and tell those stories. There's so many incredible behind the scenes stories, and people feel exactly the same way that we do about horses and the same way that we both got into racing was because we loved animals or we loved horses and I, I I believe that that's what we need to get better at telling the stories and we need to get better at making sure that our horses are looked after after racing so there are careers for them after racing because they are thoroughbreds and they're so versatile they can do anything I mean I just rode in the polo at the Magic Millions and all of them are retired racehorses and you wouldn't think you were on a racehorse because usually when you ride a racehorse, they're pretty strong and they don't turn the way you go. But you could literally <laughs> turn them in any direction and they were, you know, sort of scooting around. Probably, probably, yeah, uh, such a versatile breed. Incredible animals. I mean, to do what they can do, show jump, they can event, they've been to the Olympics, they can do anything that you retrain them to do. And, and that's what we need to, you know, sell, we need to tell people. Just we need to make sure, them. celebrate that they know that, Yes, you can have a warm blood, but you can also have a really good show jumper that's a thoroughbred. <laughs> and it's got a hell of a lot more heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Lizzie, I think from start to finish, you've had an amazing career. And I really hope anyone listening takes really good inspiration from that. Um, you sort of broke the mold. You, you didn't come from a racing background. You've, sort of, you've walked in there. You've worked really hard to be where you are today. And we get the pleasure of reaping all of that experience you've had and listening to you on race day, which is amazing. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind. I, I do hope that, that anyone who is, is listening does get some inspiration from what I have, um, where I've come from. Because if you do love horses, there is a great career for you in racing. And, and if, you work, if you're willing to work hard and be dedicated, then you'll be be very successful. Amazing. Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us. I thank really loved your me. chat. Um, and I hope again, you know, we've got plenty of guests to talk to, but I'd love to come back and have a chat to you again. Yes, I'd love to do that. Yeah, we have to, we have to get you out in the yard and we can have a, <laughs> have a podcast on how to look at horses in the yard. I think people would really enjoy that. I think they would love that, actually. That's amazing. <laughs> Lizzie, thank you so much. Thanks, Hayley. Thank you for listening to the Thutterbred Network. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and keep up to date with all the future guests on our website, thethoroughbrednetwork.com.au.